Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you are not silent, that you are not far off, but you have spoken and you continue to speak to your people. And you are very near, nearer than we can imagine. And we pray that you would come now through your word and minister to the hearts of your people. And even as we look at this passage that addresses faithfulness amidst pain and suffering, perseverance, we lift up the people of Afghanistan. We pray for your special protection upon religious minorities there, women, children, all Afghan people, Americans too, of course, but all people there that might suffer unrighteousness, that might be under uh, the threat of harm. And we pray especially for brothers and sisters in Christ who also are under threat of persecution in this time. Jesus, we are short on words or even ideas of what to pray for. But what we do now is acknowledge that you reign over all, even mysteriously, even beyond our imagining. And so draw near to the people in the place of Afghanistan. And we pray that you would draw near to us as well in this time and that you would fill your word and fill your people. And so come, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I loved watching the Tokyo Olympics. I don't know if you got a chance to tune in to some of that. I've always loved it ever since I was a kid and especially watching those sports that you only get to watch every four years. Team handball, weightlifting, archery. Of course, the headline events were thrilling in a lot of ways too, as always. Swimming, track and field, gymnastics. This time I noticed though, while I was watching, that one of my favorite things to do was to watch the athletes' reactions after their match or after their race, whether in victory or in defeat, studying their faces, their body language, the first person that they go to hug, the shoulder that they turn to to cry on. And what was curious to me along the way was what was it that they were feeling after all those countless hours of training, after all those indeed years, in some cases a whole lifetime of training. In fact, the older I get and the more Olympics I watch, the more that I'm personally impressed not just by these Olympians' extraordinary talent, as great as that might be, but rather the more impressed I am by their commitment, uh, by their determination in the face of adversity, by their perseverance. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised that the Bible repeatedly uses the athlete as a metaphor for spiritual perseverance and patience. And while James doesn't use that particular metaphor here in today's passage, he does turn our attention to that same theme, patience, perseverance in the face of struggle. Be patient, he exhorts us in verse 7. 
He uses a word there that means be forbearing, uh, be long-suffering, be steadfast in the midst of trial. He uses other expressions as well throughout the passage, communicating basically the same idea. Patient waiting. A standing firm, which sort of conveys a steely resolve that soldiers have being ready for battle. Perseverance. That determination to continue in the right course, no matter how difficult it may be. What we find here in the midst of this discussion on perseverance and patience is James applying this call to perseverance in a couple of different arenas, four arenas of life, in fact. He applies it to unjust circumstances, to an uncertain future, to unrelenting pain, to unpeaceful relationships, and unreliable words. Notice it in this passage. First, this is a call to perseverance in the midst of unjust circumstances, bearing with wickedness and evil. Notice that verse 7 begins, be patient then, or therefore, because it's referring back to the paragraph that just preceded this one. And what was it that was just taught or written in this letter? Well, the context, if you remember, if you were with us last week, is that James was talking about uh, injustice and oppression that was being uh, born under by people, Christians, that were suffering from poverty and oppression, uh, suffering from unpaid wages, a reference to uh, the cries of harvesters who were being exploited uh, by those who were fattening themselves, uh, those in power who were taking over. The innocent are being condemned, even murdered. James is calling people that are suffering from such injustices to persevere, uh, to keep their course of faithfulness, of righteousness, to trust in the Lord, even in such hard times as these. He also points our attention to an uncertain future. You see this in the second half of verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. It's a picture of a farmer who's waiting for rain, waiting for the land to yield its crop. This is a picture of a person, maybe someone like you, who finds themselves in a time of uh, proverbial famine or drought, where the blessing of God seems short or maybe running dry. Uh, sometimes in life we have the good times, and maybe right now you feel like you've been riding in the hard times, the bad times, waiting for the rain to come. James says, be patient, persevere. Thirdly, there's the arena of the unrelenting struggle, unrelenting pain. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. 
Here's a call to those who are struggling more broadly with all different kinds of pain points. Maybe there's an area of discomfort, an area of disorientation, a, a, a piece of your life maybe that you recently lost, a job, a possession, a relationship, a familiar surrounding. And maybe you're here today because you felt you had nowhere else to turn. It feels like an unrelenting struggle, a drought in which you're just thirsting, dying, parched, looking for the autumn rain. Sometimes these areas of struggle are ways, are, are, are uh, seasons in which we are tempted to constantly look for the exit doors, looking for our way out, a way of escape. James tells us something that you don't often hear, not get out, but remain in where God is, where he promises to meet you, where he promises to be with you. Here is a curious, even unexpected call, invitation to accept struggle as part of God's work in your life. An invitation to consider that that place of pain might be the very place where you can meet God in your suffering, not apart from it. Because God speaks to us and meets with us even in our pain. A very un-American, as it were, way of looking at struggle and discomfort. Because so often we can be led to assume that if it hurts, there is no way that God could want that for me. If it's hard or uncomfortable, there's no way that God could be there until we get a clear glimpse of the cross of Christ. Where the greatest moment of pain and suffering ever suffered by a human being, even the human God, man named Jesus, was the very place where God was most present, most acting out his redemptive purposes, most giving life to his beloved. Fourthly, James points us to unpeaceful relationships perseverance even in the midst of these he tells us in verse 9 don't grumble against one another brothers and sisters perhaps broken relationships are on james's mind because he knows in the face of pressure in moments of pain and discomfort sometimes that's when relationships crack most come under assault by our sinful hearts our selfish hearts after all, in a fallen world, in imperfect relationships among broken sinners, steadfastness, perseverance in those relationships is the greatest act of love. Not bailing out, not running away, as we're often tempted to, but rather to hang in there. And I need to be quick to note, of course, that the Bible acknowledges that in the cases of different kinds of abusive relationships or violent circumstances, sometimes you can leave, sometimes you must leave as an act of faith and faithfulness. The Bible sees those circumstances as being holy as well. But for most of us, hanging in there is the great trial that presses in on us day to day constancy in relationship 
not running when the going gets tough, not grumbling when the relationship is hard. And lastly, James points us to unreliable words, unjust circumstances, an, unjust, an uncertain future, unrelenting struggle, unpeaceful relationships, unreliable words. Verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Those words might ring familiar to you. Jesus taught a similar thing in Matthew 5 when he said, don't take unnecessary oaths or vows. Mean the words that you say. Of course, he's not saying that there's something wrong with making promises or taking vows. But he is saying in a world of broken promises, Keep your words simple and simply keep your words as though they were double, triple promises anytime words come out of your mouth. In other words, persevere in meaningful speech. Be steadfast in your words. Be faithful verbally as well as relationally and practically as well. As a pastor and theologian author, Dan Doriani, said about this verse, the family of God should be so truthful that we never need oaths or vows to verify our words. This too is a kind of perseverance in relationship, a, a keep on going on when things are hard and painful. With our time, with our relationship, with our possessions, with our outlook on life, and even with our words. A constancy, a steadfastness in the midst of pain. So, friends, with this wide range of arenas of application, where James is saying, be patient, persevere. Friends, where are you getting most impatient? Where is it hardest to be steadfast in perseverance? Is it a particular relationship? Is it a particular type of uncertainty where you kind of can't see what's coming around the corner, where tomorrow seems blurry or maybe even dark? What is it for you? All of us, of course, are bearing under a unique need for perseverance in the midst of this pandemic. It's been a long, hard road, hasn't it? We're keeping on after having kept on and kept on. This word is for us, of course, this word of patience and perseverance. But James gives us more than just these arenas. He also gives us points of encouragement well, what are we to do besides simply persevering and being patient? He gives us a new perspective in a couple of different ways. Four more things that are worth considering. Be patient. Persevere. Why? Why? He tells us. Because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 7 and verse 8. He tells us again and again that there is a day of blessing and favor, uh, not just a sprinkling of rain, but one day, a day of nothing but rain that waters the earth. Indeed, the day when Jesus returns and when he extinguishes from this world all fires of pain and struggle, 
the day when Jesus will come again, having died and risen and called you into his family now, him promising to take you home or rather to bring his home to you, to make all things right, to wipe away every tear from your eyes as he promises in Revelation 21. Jesus is coming back. Friends, if you are in Christ, have you considered this promise and perspective the last time that you were struggling through how to relate to the challenge of perseverance? Jesus is coming soon, and he will make all things new and all things right. So this is helpful for us in a practical way first because it gives us perspective. What does this tell us? It means that right now, don't expect things to be perfect on this side of heaven. This can save us from frustration of assuming that things must be or even can be exactly as they ought to be in our relationships, in our possessions, our circumstances, in our pain on this side of heaven. James says, no, the Lord is not fully here yet in person, in presence. That day is still coming. But more than that, it's a promise. That day will come. It may be a long time. It could be tomorrow. But literally, it will not be forever. Jesus is coming soon. And he will bring an end not just to your present pain, but to all pain for those who are in Christ. Not just to your present struggle, but to all struggle. Not to just your present fear, but to all fears. Jesus is coming soon. So keep going. So keep going. The word of God offers us this relief and even more than just relief, it's a reminder. Jesus is coming. He's coming for you. And what that can tell you today is that God has not forgotten you. And that whatever pain or source of struggle that you are most battling right now, that is not the end of your story. There's more to come. A wild conclusion. Indeed, it's really the beginning of a long story of eternity that's still yet to be written. Your pain is not the end of the story. It does not define you. There's more that God is writing about your life. Can you see it? Can you just barely see it? God has not forgotten you. A second point of encouragement. The Lord is coming, but not only to redeem and heal and to wipe every tear, but in verse 9, we're reminded he's coming also in judgment. Part of his making all things new and right is his coming to judge all sin and evil, making things right, not just by setting them aside, but giving them their due. Verse 9 says it pretty explicitly. The judge is standing at the door. This is something that makes us uncomfortable. The reality of God's judgment 
a doctrine that some people would rather just set aside. But please understand, do you know what this tells us? It tells us that wickedness and evil will not prevail. And God is of such character that he will not wink or simply turn away from the evil of this world. He will deal with it as our own hearts actually long to deal with perpetrators of evil and sin against us. In other words, this is actually a word of hope that justice resides in God's hands and so therefore you can patiently wait for him to enact it so you don't have to. You can deliver over into God's hands people that have harmed you, people that have done wicked things against you, even enemies, whether real or perceived, you can say, God, they belong to you. They are in your hands. Listen to Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil men, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Or, or Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things right so you don't have to. You can wait and trust and believe. Thirdly, this passage gives us, as another point of encouragement, examples of patience in the face of suffering in verse 10. It's a reference to prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Prophets, of course, from the Old Testament who even in the face of opposition and pain still remained faithful. And the second half of verse 11 makes a reference to Job. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Job, of course, who lost all of his wealth, lost even his children, his family, and yet persevered in faith even as he faltered. Yesterday, my kids and I, we read in our children's storybook the story, the well-known story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Yet another story from the Old Testament of those who persevered, who waited patiently on the Lord, even in the face of suffering and persecution. Stories upon stories that we have in the Bible, examples that are not just this is how you need to do it, do it better than you're doing, kinds of examples, but stories of encouragement, that there are those who have gone before you and struggled in nearly identical ways that you have in the face of injustice, in the face of loss, in the face of broken relationships, in the face of doubt before God, in the face of the hardship of waiting for the Lord to arrive, they've done it too. And God gave them grace to remain faithful, to keep going in the face of their pain. So you and I can look into the pages of scripture and say, I'm not alone. God is with me, not just he himself by his spirit, but he's with me through his people, both those, both those who have come before me, but also even those around us. Friends, Share your stories of pain and perseverance. We need to hear from one another, not just the successes, 
but even the struggles, and yes, even the failures. Because perseverance and patience is hard. God calls us to do it, but we need each other to keep on keeping on. God intends for us to draw strength and courage from one another. Bless someone this week by telling them a little story about what's been hard in your life and what you think God might be doing. Uh, Strengthen someone else by telling them how weak you feel. Do you see that paradox? But this is how it works in the kingdom of God. That you can give strength to another by daring to be weak. By bearing your vulnerability. By taking the road of the cross. Friends, don't you know it's in our suffering that God shows up. Because it's in Christ's suffering that the redemption of the world, the forgiveness of your sins, was accomplished. And so the pattern was set and continues to this day that it's in our suffering that God continues to produce life and redemption. Finally and lastly, the Lord is coming. The Lord is near in his blessing. The Lord is coming in his judgment. God gives us examples all around us and in the pages of scripture of those who persevered in the face of suffering. And finally, we're pointed to the compassion of God. Verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And we finish here. Friends, it's hard. Friends, it hurts. But this you must know. If you were in Christ, don't you know how much your God loves you? Do you know the compassion of God, not just in the distant way in which you might think that he's arranging the puzzle pieces of your life like a wizard behind a a screen or a curtain, but like a father who's drawing you near to himself, a a God who wants to not just be close to you, but indeed dwell within you, Who, who wants to not just forgive you, but wants to see you flourish. A God who, in fact, feels your pain because he entered into your pain. This is God the Son who took on flesh and suffered in every way that you and I presently suffer. So he's able to be our high priest and therefore is sympathetic to you, to me, not wagging his finger, telling us to get with the picture or suck it up. He doesn't say these things. He calls us rather to faithfulness, promising to give us grace to keep on going, persevering in faith and faithfulness. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Dear friends, whatever it is that you are struggling with today, And however much you might be faltering in the face of those struggles, you need to know God is not shaking his head saying, come on. He loves you. He loves you in your pain. He loves you in your weakness. He's not surprised by your faltering. He's sympathetic to your stumbling. He loves you because he's a God of compassion and mercy And that, dear suffering, stumbling, struggling friends, is our greatest hope. 
God. Let's pray. So we look to you, O God of compassion, because it's hard. But you promise to be near us and with us. And you promise that you're coming soon. Lord Jesus, come quickly and make all things new and right. But we're trusting in you to give us grace, not just to escape the pain, but to be faithful in it. And to seek righteousness in the kingdom of God in the midst of our struggle. Because you don't just pull us out of the fiery furnace, you meet us right there in the midst of the flames. And so Jesus, come and show us your love. Maybe even in greater, more radiant ways than we could ever possibly have imagined that you could reveal yourself to us. Do this and get all the glory in our hardship and in our struggles. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.